just a quick message for our listeners. This episode includes discussion around topics such as domestic violence, stalking, physical violence, and identity-based discrimination and harassment. We acknowledge that this content may be difficult, but we also encourage you to take care for your safety and well-being. You know, obviously this podcast, we do focus on relationships and dating and things like that. So we want to make sure that we cover pretty much all our bases and something that happens that can happen in relationships is domestic violence. So we do want to address that this episode. Hey, y'all. My name is Javon. You already made the step. Just be upfront about what you want. What's good, everybody? I'm Carly. Titty City. Listen to this. What's up, y'all? I'm Kelsey. God damn. People kill me with Kelsey, that Kelsey, I cannot fucking deal with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Titty Talks podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Amber. Hey. 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 Hey, girl. Hey. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, so the, this format is obviously a little bit different for us because you're our first guest. So I don't know if you just want to start off by maybe just introducing yourself. Yeah, so my name is Amber. I'm from Memphis, M-Town. Hey. <laughs> I got my bachelor's in social work from the University of Tennessee, and now I'm working on a master's from Tulane University. We love right that on. for you. Um, so first of all, I did some research and I noticed that during the pandemic, ever since COVID-19 with the whole mm-hmm. shelter in place, stay at home order, there's been more yeah. cases of domestic violence, which that really hurts my heart. But I just thought that was really interesting because during these times, you know, people are in close quarters and it's hard for people to escape their yeah. abuser. So I think with the pandemic and people staying at home, a lot of us who work in these fields of trying to keep victims safe have been seeing these upcharges. I was previously working with the Department of Children's Services before I like went to school and there was a sort of an uptake um, with children because now children do, there's like a weird pause when it first happened because nobody's really seeing these kids. Um, But then once people Mm -hmm. were able to like kind of see kids more and school started back, then we were starting and we were kind of like looking into people's homes more there's this uptake in like people being able to see the kids and like see what's been going on in their houses so there's been uptake in reports of child abuse and with domestic violence Mm. it's more like people don't have those places of like being able to leave to go to work or being able to leave to possibly go see family like there's not their abuser is like constantly at home and not going out with their friends or family so it's just i think it's kind of pushing people to their limits of what they can handle yeah right I saw in the information that you sent us, you mentioned that domestic violence is about maintaining power and control. I'm curious to know what does that, where does that need for, for power? You know, there are a lot of different theories of that um, because a lot of people who abuse are men. There's a lot of um, theory that it comes in from misogyny of like, Um, people not having a lot of respect for women or like seeing themselves as superior to women and even in same-sex relationships we like see that often where it may be if someone is a little bit more masculine than the other then like that is the person who is more than likely to be the abuser and it's just kind of stemmed in like the way that we treat women and the way that we don't really respect women um, or at least not as we should Mm. and just kind of seeing them as like a weaker inferior person it's, it's interesting, too, because oftentimes we do hear about domestic violence or intimate partner violence um, being framed as men mm-hmm. abusing women. 
but obviously it does happen with all genders and in same-sex relationships yeah. too. And I, I seem to notice that that violence doesn't seem to be taken as seriously in same-sex relationships. Oh, Would definitely. you agree with that? I had a client that I worked with recently who they had gone to court against their husband and the judge was asking if the person could stay in the house a little longer until to, like asked if the abuser could stay in the house a little longer until they were able to find another place to go. I was like, this is ridiculous. If, if anybody yeah. else was in this type of situation and, an abuser was in the house and you found that the abuser was uh, being abusive, you would tell them to get out of the house immediately. Right. Um, yeah. It was, I think it was specifically because that was a same sex couple. I can't, I've never heard that with any of my other clients that I've worked with. I've never heard that story. And even when I was talking to other people who work in the agency, it's like, yeah, that's really weird. I was reading where it was just like a couple of bullet points. It was from the um, national coalition against domestic violence facts. Yeah about um, domestic violence uh, within the LGBT community. And it said that a certain percentage of domestic violence cases in same-sex uh, relationships, a lot of the times they don't get reported because of instances like what you said just happened, where it's like, it's they don't get taken seriously. So it's like, with uh, I think with men, it's more like they look at it as, oh, well, you should be able to protect yourself against him. You know, like y'all are two men. Y'all fight it out. Like, that's OK. Mm -hmm. Or yeah. with women, it's it's for whatever reason, people kind of find it a little more difficult to see women as like aggressors. Aggressors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like it's now I, I don't know if this was the case with um. Uh, with the case that you were just working on but it's like it's easier to be like oh well y'all could be able to work this out peacefully or or like you said can you know is there a way that y'all could settle y'all differences this is reconcilable but at the end of the day it's still abuse it's still violence you know it's still harmful to someone mm -hmm. even if those people are of the same sex or queer gender yeah it's also when there's like physical violence between people, we look at it a different way. We look at it as a power dynamic. So if two guys get into a fight, even if one person is the attacker and somebody else is like defending themselves, we see that as a fight. We see that as something like that's mutual. And in domestic violence, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's literally just someone who is being harmed and whether or not the person is defending themselves or not, they are a victim of abuse. And that abuse is not always physical. Sometimes it is other things that are going on. It's like verbal or somebody's being like controlled financially. Um, mm. And we don't, for some reason, when it's physical, like is and it's like same sex, it's just like, oh, that's a fight, not something that's like a danger to someone. Mm. Absolutely. And yeah. um, to touch also, on, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I when I was in college, I had a roommate who was queer and her and like her partner, they would argue all the time. They were arguing, they would get into it. Cause I like, I'm, I would say that like, I'm guilty of this as well. They would like get into physical fights mm -hmm. in our house. And I just be like, y'all fighting again, but it's not like, there's more to it than just, Oh, well they fighting. Like, no, there's obviously a, a power struggle here. Mm -hmm. There's a there is like something more at play, and like I lived with them, so mm -hmm. I kind of knew what was going on. But like I said, I'll say I'm guilty of it as well. I didn't, I didn't at the time. I didn't see it as like 
like a real issue. Like this isn't domestic violence. This is just like these just two girls. They just they're not having a good week. And this week, this is how they gonna have it out. That that that's their relationship. That's their business. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of easy to look at it that way. And then, like, in hindsight, now that we're talking about it, I'm like, yeah, no, that wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. That wasn't okay at all. Yeah. No. Um, I I want to kind of circle back to uh, something Amber had said uh, regarding the types of abuse. Um, would you mind uh, describing for our listeners uh, the different forms of abuse uh, that, you know, they may see or could see in a domestic situation? Yeah. So uh, one thing that's usually pretty major and that is not always taken as seriously is financial abuse. Um, So that's when someone has control over somebody else's finances. Um, So if one person has control of all the account and one person is constantly checking like every little thing you spend money on or you can't go out because you don't have money or I am the one who pays for all of these bills. You don't, I will give you an allowance of this amount. Don't go over this allowance like that I have set for you. Um, And that makes it really dangerous because it's hard for people to leave in that case because they can't get gas money. They can't pay for a hotel. They can't pay for food once they're gone. And that is really just, it's it's just a trickle down effect of even being, even thinking about leaving makes it almost impossible. Um, There's emotional abuse where people are, just saying derogatory things about you um like people who call you all kinds of bitches hoes and all that kind of things trying really hard to just make you feel as if you're less of a person um if a person may be recovering from substance abuse then saying like well you like you're you're not anything you're still just a drug addict or trying to demean them and seem as if they're more powerful than them Mm. um there's of course the one that most people know of the physical abuse uh where there's physical battering of a person for emotional abuse would gaslighting kind of fall under that category or would that be more psychological Uh, gaslighting is definitely one of the highlights of the verbal abuse where you're making the person seem as if they're crazy like um my own little tidbit when i got catfished years ago by a person um i was in an abusive catfish relationship really complicated um um, but anytime that i hung out with a guy it was all this you're cheating on me you're doing these things wrong you're like you're not being faithful to me what is your problem and i was like this person's just a friend but they are like going they were literally like going out to dinner with like other people and like formal dates with other people and i brought it up and they're like you're just being dramatic you're really just like blowing this out of proportion this is just my friend like i can't believe you would even think that like this girl says she wants to date me but that doesn't mean that like you know i want to date her back definitely is a part of that abuse and that's definitely a form of projection too because you were mentioning how he was essentially not being faithful to you but (laughs) but saying that you weren't being faithful to him in in the in a way of defending himself Mm. in that in a way that's that's a trip is it always explicit or can it sometimes be implicit uh and i don't think those those might not be the words that i need to use is it always Um, direct yeah is it something that people do mindfully or intentionally or can it also be like physical physical abuse yeah that's something that that's obvious intent but when you go and you talk about um uh what was it financial and emotional those things i feel like can sometimes 
not necessarily be just completely inadvertent, but it may not be uh, directly intentional, yeah. or at least I'm seeing how it could be that way. Yeah, there, that... usually when once something has gotten physical, that's usually because all these other things have happened, and it's a build up to this becoming physical. Somebody, if like somebody gets hit by their partner, that's usually not the first instance of abuse. That's usually like it's a, a growing thing. Um, I was reading a story recently of a person who was in a same-sex relationship with someone. They had just gotten off drugs. They were going back to school. They were needing help to like with school and to like stay and work and do all these things. And they found this person who was willing to pay for school, who was willing to pay for them to live with them, was just going to like really help them and be supportive in their sobriety and things like that. Uh, the person was ended up being abusive, not physically, but financially. Every little penny that the person was spending, the abuser was like, what are you spending this on? Why are you going out with other people? Like, you have me. You can't go out with these other people. And the way that the story portrays the abuser is like, I'm trying to protect this person. They are not stable. They're not able to stay sober. When they did have their control over their own money, they were spending it on drugs. When nobody was watching them, they were out doing what god knows what like they were they really thought that they were protecting this person and even when mm. the person was like no you're 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 not allowing me any freedoms you're not allowing me to do these things they would bring it up in the person's face so like well what were you doing before me you weren't okay before me what makes you think that you're better now right so it's not always a malicious intent however it's it's still the it's impact is yep. it's still yeah harmful. and that's why it's so effective with these abusers because they're so manipulative and they say things that make it seem that seem so logical but it's abuse and it's derogatory like if 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 somebody's an addict and they've always been an addict until they get around you and now all of a sudden they're good and they're supposedly good and supposedly clean um and all these other like words that we use to like kind of stereotype of people who use who abuse substances like yeah, like it makes sense that you need to like be in control of my finances to a certain point because I couldn't do that before you. That mm. like I mean, but also people right. are in control of their own like in control of their own fate. If somebody wants to continue using substances, like of course you want to do what you can to support them, but at the end they're going to make that own choice. Yeah. If you know someone, for example, like I said with my my roommates, um although at the time I didn't think of it as um abuse I just saw mm -hmm. something else but if you know someone who is like in an abusive relationship mm -hmm. and you want to be supportive like what does that look yeah. like yeah um so in my agency a lot of what we do is education so people sometimes will come to us and they'll say I don't know if this is really abuse but it doesn't feel right and so then that is us imparting the knowledge like this is something that is not right so if you have a friend who's coming to you saying like yeah, this person did such and such to me. Like, this person really said some mean, negative things to me, and I'm just not liking it. And they still, like, they're, they're trying to be supportive of me, but they're really speaking down on me. I don't like it. It's like, well, is this a pattern of things that have happened? Like, what are some other things around this that have happened? Like, it's always good to just kind of, like, say, I'm, I'm a person that if I see something that's going on with someone, 
I will at least bring it up. Like, do you feel like this is something that is us going on? If you say no, then like, it's okay. It's a no, but at least I've implanted this into your head. So that if it goes any further and becomes a more dangerous situation, then you may have the words to, to like verbalize what this is and say what you're going through. So if someone may have like, they say it's a sugar daddy and they like have become very controlling of all the money and the person's just not comfortable with it. It's like, well, that may be sort of, do you think that they're kind of like being manipulative of you at this point? Do you think that they may be like abusing you or taking advantage of you? Like these types of words of just even implanting it or like saying, hey, I like heard this story of this one person who was being abused. This sounds kind of similar to what you're going through. Is this something that we may need to like help you with? Mm -hmm. Or do you think you like, do you think you're safe right now? And also just making yourself available to the person of like, hey, this thing kind of scares, this thing that's kind of going on with you kind of scares me for these reasons. If it gets worse and you need my help, I'm here for you. If you do need help right now, I am here for you. And that's just kind of how you have to present it. Because one thing that they always tell us um, when people are not ready to leave their abusers is like people love their partners. The person that they're with, they love them. They just want the abuse to mm-hmm. stop. So they may not be in the frame of where they're ready for like ready to leave this person, especially if it's been something that's been going on for years and they've spent a lifetime with this person. They want to like they just want the abuse to stop. They just don't want to be hurt. They don't want to be abused anymore. So you really have to be careful and just like educate people, say that I am here for you and just kind of like leave it there you can't like this is a it's a really delicate situation you can't force people because the especially when it comes to relationship when you try to force people apart that's usually where they like start going full force together absolutely um in situations where uh you may have a couple who's together and there are children Mm -hmm. present um and perhaps the abuser is not abusive or abusive in a different way but not necessarily uh, physical abuse and whatnot to the the spouse, but has been abusing mm-hmm. the child. What advice might you have um, or what uh, tools do you recommend for someone who's in that situation? They are the spouse and they're seeing their child be abused, but they too are afraid to perhaps speak up or, or anything like that, or they don't know what yeah. to do in that situation. Um. I mean, I have to give my spiel. Everyone over the age of 18 in the state of Tennessee is a mandated reporter. So that means that if you suspect any sort of child abuse or neglect, then you have to, your, it's your duty to report it. Um, there are fines that can be initiated if you do not report it. And so first off, being aware if like your state has a state mandated reporting. Um, it's also very important because parents have a there's this legal term of a duty to protect um which can be very terrifying because sometimes they'll see the child being abused and maybe they've somehow avoided the physical abuse but they're still being abused in some other way um so that's always Mm -hmm. a scary thing of like what's gonna happen if i like speak out or what happens if i go too far and they decide to hit me so there's a protection of yourself but with children um they don't have as much authority over their lives independent and a lot of times we end up have like you have to call your local child abuse service if you feel if like if it comes to 
that. I mean, I feel like it's necessary because if you call your child abuse service, they're going to keep it anonymous. They're not going to tell who the reporter is. And that keeps you anonymous. Anybody could have seen this kid and like known that something was up. The kid could have said anything to anyone and like have spilled the beans. And that's why it's being reported. Um, And I think it's a great way instead of like, me instead of the person who is the parent of the child saying like yeah i turned you in or like this was something that was dangerous for the kid it can be just say somebody else saw this and somebody else thought that intervention need to happen in order to keep this kid safe and that really just takes the blame off of that person however i will bring up that thing again of duty to report if like that parent is seeing the abuse and is not stopping it they can also be held accountable for any any harm that has happened to that child because they were not doing actively doing anything to protect the child. So can you provide uh, a scenario or an example of a situation for our listeners uh, who may be facing this type of situation, but they too are being Mm -hmm. abused in a situation where a state has uh, a mandate like that. What is there something in place to also protect the spouse who is also being abused because while they may not they're not reporting it obviously um you know reporting what's happening to the child they may not also be reporting what's happening to them and so um to face criminal charges is there some sort is there something there also to protect them i wish i could say yes and like mean it but i'm really just not sure i've had one case when i was working with the department of children's services where there was a mother who was being abused by her abuser her child had been abused and the mother like we had to not completely remove but the child had to go live with family until mom was able to kind of get herself together and the way that i framed it to her was more of like, you need to make sure that you are safe and that you are away from this person. And we just make sure that the child is in a good, stable place while you get all the things together. But she did feel like it was a punishment because her child had been taken from her. She wasn't mm-hmm. allowed to see the child right. without the other adults being, without the other family members being around. Um, so there are, outside of the um, child welfare system, are there people who are able to help people who are being abused and have children yes um legally i just i'm not sure how that all i'm just not sure how that works out it really just depends on the judge and how the judge is gonna rule on it gotcha i saw a report from the cdc that said that women Mm -hmm. between the ages of 18 to 34 uh typically experience the highest rates of intimate partner violence and that really got my attention because um as far as our listeners for this show the majority of our listeners are between 18 and 34. Um, why do you think that this age group experiences those mm-hmm. rates higher than other age groups? You know, uh, I have my own personal theories. I think that when you're younger, people try to like tell you all these things like, oh, you need to work out things with your partner. And like, you know, you really got to tough it out. And older women mm-hmm. are usually like, if you're, you know, in your late 30s, and 40s um being and you're single by then being in a relationship is not always going to be as big of a deal for you because like you've you've gone you've been what society has said is an old mate or whatever you're like you're good you're good on your own um but those yeah. but like the pressure for yeah, yeah. Being in relationships <laughs> is real 
and like being in this like working things out no matter what and just and like you know just because it gets tough doesn't mean you quit on it and all that kind of stuff um that i i don't really as far as like what facts say i'm not really sure i haven't i haven't been given a like good answer to why it would be for uh younger women that were abused uh, yeah no i think you're onto something with that theory though because there is a lot of emphasis in those in that time, 18 and 34, to be in a relationship. So I could see, like you said, people trying to tough it out and just trying to make it work. So I, no, I think that actually makes, that actually makes a lot of sense. also, to your, to your point, um, people also mimic Mm -hmm. what they've seen. And Mm -hmm. so typically we've seen, you know, our our grandmothers and, you know, our aunts or whatever sticking it out, right? regardless of the abuse that they faced or what they haven't said Mm -hmm. was abuse, but we know and we can see is abuse as we get older and we learn more about it. Um, And so before we can unlearn those behaviors, we we fall into a pattern of repeating them. And so I I think that that also plays a part. This kind of reminds me what we talked about a couple of episodes ago. Um, Yes. Relationship Mm -hmm, goals. Yeah kind of wanting to maintain that because you know who knows you know with with this person that you're with especially if y'all been together for a while and you know like this this is this is this gotta work out because you know I've been with them so long and you may have uh I guess like uh, develop this kind of facade of what your relationship mm-hmm. is or what it kind of like looks like uh I think like maybe social media now I don't know if if this has always been uh, like if this statistic has always been true, but I think like currently with social media and stuff like that, where you have appearances to keep up, and so it'd be hard to like mm-hmm. have to to break up or leave this person or get yourself out of this situation and start over again and still maintain these appearances that yeah. like, you know everything is good, you know, good vibes. Um, you know, I can see that. I can see mm-hmm. where you're going with that theory. What would you say are some warning signs that could indicate that could indicate to somebody that they are potentially in an abusive situation? Like it hasn't gotten physical yet, but what are some yeah? So, what are some uh, signs that could indicate that to them? Are not really wanting to make you let your uh, make your own choices. So if they're really super critical about what you wear, like um, if they're just very. Mm accusatory like very jealous from the get-go of like who are you going out with very suspicious of like your friends very judgmental of your friends a lot of questioning of your loyalty to them so like asking a lot are you cheating on me or who like who are you with who are you going out with who is this person why don't I know them a Mm. lot of those like little details of control that we don't that we just kind of sometimes see as like quirky or funny Especially, like, the things with clothes. Like, if they're accusing you of um, wanting to, of, like, wanting to go dress up for other people, like, being jealous is definitely, like, a good warning sign of, like, someone who is abusive. Um, If there's a person who, like, tries to Mm. say, like, I can't live without you and my life would, or, like, I would live in my life if you weren't here. Anyone who tries to, like, have that kind of control over you where they're, um, saying that they're contemplating suicide to keep you around—that's definitely a big like red guilt flag. tripping. Um, 
if they aren't able to take responsibility for their actions, so if they do something and they're kind of like, well, I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't made me mad, that's <laughs> definitely a big red flag. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. Those are definitely things that I always look for. especially And one thing to look for in friends um, who may be in new relationships, if your friends are starting to kind of fall out with a lot of your other friends that they usually hang out with and they've just suddenly gotten into a new relationship that would be a red flag for me just because that's their way of kind of like cutting you off from other people and you being and the, the abuser making themselves your only source of support mm, definitely I I've seen instances too and I think it's really common but I see instances of people where couples are they get really insecure and one of the partners like wants to go through their phone or like they want the passcode mm-hmm. to their phone or their emails and things like that. It's definitely a big red flag if someone's like, I can go through your phone any time of the day, but you can never touch mine. That is definitely a big red flag. Um, there's sometimes mm. you sometimes have couples who are able to go through each other's phone and it's not as big of a deal. But if somebody is making a big deal about having access to your private information, then I would definitely think it's a red flag, especially if you can't have access to their Yeah, no reciprocity. Yeah. Okay. It's 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 um kind of like uh creating a yeah. hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I know a lot of times when we talk about domestic violence and intimate partner violence that we always talk about the victim or the person being abused. But I'm curious what advice would you have for somebody who might realize that they might actually be the abusive partner? There have been research studies of what types of therapy work with abusers, and it, there's not a lot of good information out there. One common um, form of therapy is called CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's like it—it's to change your thinking so that you can change the behavior, and. Usually a lot of that thinking has to do Mm -hmm. with like depression or anxiety or like past traumas that a person has. But when an abuser is in a state that they are, they feel like they're in power and that this power belongs to them, it's really hard to change that thinking. And it's even harder to change the behavior. So cognitive behavior theory is not very impactful with changing abusers um, behaviors Um, there is a type of therapy that I am always going to pronounce wrong I think it's bully but it's a feminist based theory that is trying to kind of break down those like heteronormative cishet norms that people think and try to break those things down for men and try to like change their view of women in a way so that they don't feel as if they are owed this power over women and that has shown to have some sort of um be a bit more successful with men men specifically who are abusers um but for anyone else who's been abusing um there's not really a lot of things that have been shown to um like work in changing those behaviors if somebody does have the kind of like self um reflection to see that they are abusing are abusive then I definitely think that they should get out of that relationship um yeah like you really got to do some self-reflection some deep diving and definitely recommend therapy um better help all those things um yes but 
yeah, there's not really mm-hmm. been a sure way of being able to change abusers' behaviors. Yeah, and I know abuse can definitely be in a a learned behavior, you know, like we were talking about earlier that they've they've mm-hmm. seen it passed down from maybe their parents or their grandparents. But do you also think that that could be I don't know if genetic is the right word, but I don't know. It, do you know if there's been any links to that that it's it's considered genetic or is it just um, considered a learned I behavior? Say that is genetic. It'd more be like nurture over nature. Um like seeing these types of seeing this type of uh, relationship so therefore this is how my relationships should work yeah that makes sense Uh, yeah and I think we should be careful uh, when we speak of something being um, genetic or there being a predisposition uh, especially when there's not data to back it up and unfortunately in these types of situations unless you get people into studies or you can you know study that behavior um there's not gonna be data you know what i mean what are your thoughts or do you have any thoughts on a situation where both people are abusers um so a situation where because i've seen this happen where you know they're arguing all the time the partners and they seem to kind of trigger each other, so to speak, you know. Um, Have you seen that, and do you have thoughts on it? Yeah, I feel like I've seen something similar to that. Um, When I spoke with my supervisor about it, because there's sometimes where we have people who will come in and say, well, I hit them, or I was also abusive. And we kind of have to think about what's the difference between self-defense and actual battery um and who is the who is the most Mm -hmm. victimized here um because there are sometimes where people like it's kind of like that i uh i tina scene where like tina finally like starts slapping on him any like if somebody just saw that one part of their relationship would have been like yeah these folks are fighting tina is also just as bad but when you look back in the actual history of it there were plenty of times where she wasn't doing the where she wasn't doing anything that made him mad. There were times where she clearly well, she didn't deserve to be hit at all, but there are clearly times where she was doing things that that provoked him that like that provoked him. Um so it really like we always have to remember that we only see a, yeah. a like a small part of people's relationships. Even if like there's someone that we're really close to or someone that we like see everyday roommates or whatever, we only see a little bit of the relationship. Yeah, and you and you said something just now that made me think. Um, you were saying how he, she didn't do anything to provoke that, but I do want to be careful because I think a lot of times people who are being abused they yeah. feel like that that the abuse is deserved, and there's you know obviously there's never an instance where that's okay. Nobody ever deserves to have put like nobody deserves to be abused, and nobody is deserving to be mistreated it's just there there are just sometimes where like I'm like listening to people's stories and I was talking to this about my super to my supervisor also and I said I don't understand how this simple argument could have triggered somebody to hitting someone and my uh, supervisor was saying well it's not a trigger if this person just wants to power and if they could find any reason that they want to hit someone it could it could have been this thing, but it also could have been mm, this true. other thing that they would have found two minutes later. They would have started an argument about anything 
they just want it to be abusive. Well, I wanted to, uh, what you said about it's a matter of who is being mm-hmm. like victimized more. So, because I hate to be like, oh, well, they started it. So, like, so, like, say it's you're in a situation where maybe you feel like you're being abused and you go to defend yourself and then maybe it creates a bit of a different dynamic in your relationship where there's like a constant power struggle so it's like if there's like how do you know who is being victimized more if it's like this I don't want to say back and forth thing but it's just like I don't know how to describe it but yeah how do you how do you know who is being victimized more if it's like yeah, that kind of and situation, the, the like the, the the real answer is just we don't know. Um, that's like for the legal system to kind of make those jurisdictions and kind of like get people's stories. Um, as far as me being a social worker um, and working with the agency that I work with, our thing is more of if someone is saying that they've been harmed and they've been harmed by this person then we want to do the best that we can to make sure that this person is safe. Um, We start by believing people. And so like kind of when it comes to like who is the true victim or who is the true abuser, those things matter more to the courts than it does when it you're trying to give people services or help people get an order of protection that's a majority of what my agency is doing they're like helping people get order protections so in that moment we are doing we are taking this person's story and trying to present it to a judge to say hey this person needs to stay away from this other person because they're hurting them the legal system gets to make those final decisions of if is this true or is this person the true victim or is this person the true abuser and they have their own ways of doing things and the legal system is kind of wonky yeah Definitely. I was also doing some research and I came across Mm -hmm. um, examples of stalking being a form of abuse. And I feel like that doesn't get addressed enough. Um, What advice would you have for somebody who is being stalked? Like what process should they go through? The important things when it comes to stalking and to documenting stalking is that any sort of uh, text messages or any sort of recordings that you may have that say, I did not want this person to talk to me keep those if they're ever showing up if you see their car in your your parking lot and you told them that you don't want them there and they have no business being there taking a photo of it making sure it has the timestamp on it if they are calling you from a restricted number answer it one time just to make sure it is them if they keep calling you from that number then you can let it go to voicemail but you have to at least answer it one time to make sure that it is them actually calling you and Mm. definitely Keeping a log of all that information, getting it to the police as soon as possible. Um, there are agencies like mine that do help people to write orders of protection um, so that you don't have to do that. But making sure that you detail all the instances that you have told this person that you don't want to be around them and that they continue to come around you and bother you, that is very important. You have to make sure you're documenting the fear that you have, especially if it's someone that is finding you and you haven't given them that information and they may be following like 
going out of their way to find information on you. Like they're asking your friends or family or they're going into deep dives into your social media to kind of find this information about where you may be or what you're doing. So making sure that you're documenting the the fear that you have. Mm, If you know that a person has a weapon, making sure you're documenting that that person has a weapon or some means to hurt you. If they've made any sort of threats to you, making sure you're recording that too. People really be stalking. You know, I thought it was something that was only like, you know, like, in lifetime movies or whatever but no that's real life like i've i've had friends come to me and talk to me about their personal experiences and stuff like that and that shit is scary so thank you for sharing that but there was something that i wanted to ask you and i i don't want to put you on the spot but i'm definitely putting you on the spot but i don't i don't do it um i don't i don't do it to be mean but i do it because it's important um so like i was reading about violence uh against trans people yeah uh specifically Mm. trans women um and a lot of times like where we have all of these resources for uh you mentioned it earlier about um when we talk about domestic violence we think of it as a a man being violent towards a woman it's it's typically a heteronormative uh situation but when you have like queer relationships, whether it's a uh, two women or two guys or um, uh, trans women or queer gender people, they kind of tend to fall through the cracks. They don't have as many places or as many resources or even they have the resources, but there are still certain barriers because a lot of the guidelines and a lot of the uh, procedures are... Uh, developed with heterosexual relationships in mind Mm -hmm. so my question for you is not specifically about domestic violence towards um, queer folk or in the queer community Um, it's not specifically about that but what I have for you is as like a young woman as a young black woman how do you what is it that you feel like you can contribute to the field to make a space Ooh. for those kinds of people that's an excellent question yeah so i just me as myself i am a person who tries to only speak on my own experiences if i have like examples of things sometimes i will be like this is a thing that happened but as far as like people's feelings about things i try not to like speak for people about their their feelings because I know that I'm not that person and I will never be able to articulate it in the way that they need it. Um, But I do definitely try when I am in like when I'm in spaces of other social work agencies, I try to talk about those things of like, how are we handling things as this goes for like people who do not use she and her pronouns? Like what, why don't we have paperwork that just says they, so that we can cover all of our bases? Why does it have, why does it even have to say she slash her? I try to make sure that I am aware of things, like even doing my own like research into how uh, trans people are um, impacted by domestic violence and what group therapy looks like when it comes to because a lot of group therapy for survivors is going to be just women's groups or just men's groups. Like, what does it look like when you have trans people or people who are gender fluid in those spaces? Like, how do we na- how do we make these spaces safe for them also? Because they need that sort of help, too, and support, too. Um, so me personally, I'm just trying to, like, ask people who are higher up, like, hey, this is a population that you might not they exist. They need our help. 
what you gonna do about it so I'm definitely like trying my best to do that I also um it's hard um I'm definitely trying to like make sure that I'm aware and like listening to people and trying to make sure that like on my social media feeds that I like am seeing different transgender experiences and different experiences of people of all different like identities and sexualities and things uh but it's definitely hard especially with a field like social work that is predominantly white women um it's sometimes it can be hard to like kind of bring people up without sort of like making like people have like oppression is real but you don't want to make people people seem as if they are only the oppression (laughs) that they live through Mm. right you said some words you did (laughs) Do you guys have any other questions? Um, I don't have a, another question, uh, but I did want to offer a resource to our listeners, you know, to anyone who is or who may think that they are experiencing, you know, may feel like they're experiencing domestic or in, uh, intimate partner violence. Uh, there is a national domestic violence hotline uh, that you can call. Uh, that's going to be 1-800-799-7233. And the TTY for that is 1-800-787-3224. And um, of course, that's going to be for the U.S. where we are based. Uh, But I did want to offer that resource to uh, anyone who is experiencing domestic violence or um, intimate partner violence. Come on, Carly, with the resources. (laughs) Love that. Love that. I definitely suggest tech talks online of people who tell their experiences uh, with domestic violence and they really are amazing at like portraying the story and really like bringing you into the story and showing you how it is a slow progression of things and a buildup um, and a cycle. I can't remember the specific one. If I can remember it, I'll definitely like send to y'all the link um, to the one that I saw. Right on. I think that's helpful, too, because you can also when you hear other people's stories that lets you know that you're not alone and you might identify with a lot of things, too. So I think that's actually a really good resource that I would have never thought of. So, yeah, thank you. Absolutely. And for me, as always, uh, I want to encourage any of our listeners, if you have access to it, please, please, please invest in going to therapy, um, especially if you feel as if you are uh, experiencing some of the things that we discussed today. It is very helpful yeah. to have someone to speak with about this uh, so that you can process it and so that you can uh, get the help and resources that you may need. Definitely. Thank, thank you so you much for joining so us and taking time. Oh, it's fine. Yes, thank you. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode of Titty Talks. We want to give a special thanks again to Amber for speaking about this topic. It's definitely much needed. Um, Feel free to follow us on social media at Titty Talks Pod on Instagram and on Twitter at Pod Titty. And that's it. Thank you, guys. Talk to you all later. Bye.